I said, so what you're saying, Robin, is that the bike saved your life. And he did that good morning in Vietnam. No, 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 no. No, Joe. That's not what I'm saying. He said, nothing in this world can save your life. Because life is not meant to be saved, Joe. It's meant to be spent. And what you and I have to ask ourselves is how we're going to spend the rest of ours. Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason Gravely. How awesome was that intro quote by Joe? Doesn't that get you excited? I know it gets me pretty pumped to get out there and ride. Uh, A little background about this episode. It's from a few years ago, because Thursdays are our Throwback Thursday episodes. Uh, One of the first shows I produced, actually, and hosted. And um, a little history with Joe Kermaski. He's the author of Metal Cowboy, along with a bunch of other books, basically about these incredibly... Uh, unique, funny, uh, insightful stories about biking around the world, um, bike touring, that is. And uh, it, it's just super entertaining, and it was something that was a gift to me, one of his books from my mom, I believe. Thanks, Mom. Um, and I would stay up late reading it because I was starting to get into cycling, and Joe's uh, Joe's books encouraged me to get out there and, and do some adventures. So uh, it was really cool to talk to him. Um, we've become friends since this conversation. So Joe, if you're listening, uh, thanks for doing this again. We'll have to have you back on at some point. Uh, but for now, check out his new book and enjoy this episode. And I hope that it inspires you to, to get out there and tell some stories, do some things that are worth telling stories about. And something that's interesting about the way Joe talks about his stories, they're not always the most dramatic huge epic events but it's it's the way they're told and it's what is drawn out of the marrow that's drawn out of those stories and just a little side note something i've learned from hosting this show is the 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 my favorite episodes and some of the best people we've ever interviewed are not the ones doing the biggest adventures as much as they are the people who really just know how to tell a good story and at the end of the day isn't that what we're all after anyway Welcome to the show. Today we have another one of my favorite authors who's written some of my favorite books, Joe Kermaski. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. Um, it's good to be back. I know we've hung out and talked before, and uh, uh, thanks for reaching out and let people know the state of uh, the Metal Cowboy universe. That's right. Yeah, and so Joe's, uh, he's also known pretty officially, probably more so, as the metal cowboy, the metal cowboy. You have extensive experience of biking, what, probably close to a quarter million miles at this point? Yeah, uh, you know, I put in another 40 this weekend on Mount Rainier. Uh, I don't always wear a kit, but when I do, but when I do wear a kit, uh, Mason, I like to have lots of pictures taken me of me climbing uh, 4,000 vertical feet on gravel roads around Mount Rainier. Uh, you gotta make sure, <laughs> you gotta make sure people know it actually happened, right? <laughs> That's right. Hey, so yeah, I've had a, you know, bike's, bike's been very, very good to me, Mason, as you know. Um, 
I'm eight books in. I have a ninth book coming out, my first historic nonfiction. You know my books are, most of them are episodic memoir, travel adventure. They've been called, uh, I mean, it's slandering a literary titan, but they've been called a modern-day Mark Twain on two wheels. And, you know, Twain's dead, so he can't defend himself on that. So I'll go ahead and take the... I'll take the compliment. Uh, they're just stories about getting in all kinds of good trouble around the globe. And the hook is that I'm, I'm passing through each place on a bicycle and, uh, and it's just been, you know, I misspent my youth on a bike and it was a, it was a boon for me. It, it, it turned into a career. The first book metal cowboy found its life, uh, through a series of newspaper articles. I was a newspaper man for about seven years, uh, and that was the the way in it. Uh, I, actually, the the sports writer had a nervous breakdown in this in this town, and I had a I had space to fill. I was really the entertainment editor, and so I jumped over and um, and I had this just massive sprawling on the road Kerouac type of thing, tentatively called Metal Cowboy that wasn't going anywhere. But when I broke it down to fifteen hundred, two thousand word. Uh, columns every week in the newspaper it won the new mexico press association award and then went on to win the national ap outdoor column award and then the publishers came knocking and so that's how it all started you know if you look at me i look more like an aging surfer mason uh, i do not look like a metal cowboy but when you read the book you figure out how i got the name right there in the first chapter yeah, I remember reading that story. Wasn't it some guy pulled up next to you in a in a truck or something? No, no, this one was close. There was a, a, a rambling old uh, cowboy himself, an old rancher in a long coat and tobacco stains and cow spittle. He tapped his cane. He turned out he was a blind old rancher. He tapped his cane over the bike and myself at the stoplight. He stepped back and through a ruin of teeth, he says, ah, metal cowboy. Because, you know, he could only feel me. He couldn't see me, Mason. So he uh, he felt the was my trusted old steed and um, the asphalt, my dusty trail. And so that's how it's stuck. And, you know, it's um it's now been optioned for a, um, a cable TV series, Metal Cowboy. And uh, the new book, Lightning the Saddle, that's coming out, uh, has been optioned for a movie. So, you know, uh, it's amazing what one old rancher's uh, words could uh, – to tag on me and it's gone all these years. That's incredible, man. So there's a lot of people that listen to this show that have done some incredible things and have great stories. And I've kind of realized through your books that when I think back on things that have happened to me, I'm like, yeah, that that's a story right there. If I was Joe, I'd know how to turn that into <laughs> a, a sellable story. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you, you make it the everyday of, of travel and of adventure seems super, uh, just extraordinary first off. And also you've been able to build a career. You said you've written eight books. I've read about four of them and, uh, yeah, metal cowboy was the first one. My mother gave it to me right after my first bike trip. And I, I was still in college. I had two years left and I absolutely loved it. And so because of that book, I decided to do one trip up the East coast from Maine to Florida. Yes. And yeah, I just absolutely love the stories and have been a huge fan. So this is, this is cool to have you on. Well, and, and you know, I'm just another uh, Joe uh, in this world, but uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, do, I go do a couple things competently. And one of them is, um, you know, I write like a literary house on fire and I, I can tell a damn good story. 
And the reason is because I try and find the universal in the specific. And I try and I try and when I'm out on the road, I'm not, I'm not riding like a journalist. I'm not, I mean, I take notes uh, in the evenings, some shorthand sometimes, but mostly I'm out looking for adventure and connection with people and places and events and uh, activities. I think that's how you get a good story. You don't go out looking to manufacture a story because it won't come. You know, that wash pot kind of yeah. theory. And and there's everybody's got to pull it out of them and pull it out of yourself. And uh, and some of them just, just fall in your lap and some of them you see later on after you've um, after you've lived it. So where did you get those storytelling chops? Have you always had them or tapped into them later when you began writing? How, how did that work out for you? Yeah, it, it, that's a good question because I found um I found a book the other day that I won for in third grade. Um, I was I was telling stories. Not even third grade. I think I was six years old. I won a storytelling contest in Pittsburgh in our local library summer program, and uh, it, it, the storytelling's always been there. You know, we get uh, we all get. I think we all get um, gifts uh, limited. You know, and sometimes we don't um we don't take advantage of them because we think we have um that Buddhist saying you know the the challenge is we think we have time and not to get too heavy on everybody but I about four years ago uh, really faced that thing not that whole question metaphoric sense but in a literal sense I was diagnosed with a a genetic disorder called hemochromatosis which is uh, too much iron in your organ tissues. When the mutation flips on in your 40s, it, everything beyond your daily allowance, you start building up in your in your organs and tissues. And it's not a blood disorder, so you can't just Keith Richards it and get a blood transfusion. You got to um, you got to slow but surely have phlebotomies every week for about a year, year and a half. And when they found my numbers, Mason, uh, uh, the doc said, "Well, I don't know how you're standing up. You should be dead." Um, my numbers were up around 3,000, my iron um, content, when it should have been about 50. And uh, I just felt a little tired. I thought it was middle age. And, and I rode my bike to the treatments. I would ride my bicycle, and then i go coach volleyball afterwards. And I did really well. We got my iron down. And then, feeling good, feeling like, uh, you know, I beat this thing. And then just one day uh, in the summer, about a year and a half ago, because this this opens you up to to autoimmune type of encephalitis and other things that can get you uh when you're in that kind of compromised state of all these bleeds in the end i i got something that tried to kill me mason uh and it took me down for i, I was in a hospital six or seven times i couldn't swallow very well i lost 35 pounds uh, i got down to only being able to ride my bike around the block and just weak as a kitten. It did not look good for me. I was sleeping about two or three hours a night. And then they, then the doctors tried to put me on, um, uh, the thing that killed Prince and, and Tom Petty, uh, the cousin of opioids at they were both on it. And, uh, and that stuff is, is just big pharmaceutical trying to kill people. Uh, it, it, the dose they put me on before I realized what it was, was highly addictive and a maintenance dose for most people because you can't get off it because you have to stair step down off it. So in the end, it's like coming off a of heroin 10 or 15 times over the course of three or four months. 
so most people don't beat it but you know i just said i've got kids i've got a life i've got i got a new book that i haven't finished writing and it's about somebody who was being lost to the sands of time herself a cyclist so i i've Felt that she'd already passed. I said, if I if I died, then Evelyn Hamilton of Lightning in a Saddle would have died twice. And so all these reasons, I just I got myself off of this Ativan, and um, you know I'm not doing a plug for CBD oil, but CBD oil and um, uh, some dietary changes, lifestyle changes saved me, Mason. I'm uh, I'm back to climbing 4,000 vertical feet in Mount Rainier and, you know, and I'm back and I finished the book and I'm out doing uh, speaking engagements for it. I've uh, come back with a different sense of purpose. Not that I didn't already have a, a live out loud, live every day moniker, as you know, from reading my books, Mason, but I came back with the sense of um, wanting to leave some more legacy and doing it now. So I got recruited by a nonprofit for the whole 16-city Washington County out here and just on the west side of Portland that really desperately needs bike culture and bike touring and bike safety and all of that. And so I'm their executive director as of last May. We bring programs like Adopt-A-Bike to vets and low-income families and children. We have a community cycling repair shop. We're planning to be the Goodwill of Bikes and and put those in a number of the other cities in the county. We have a summer camp for kids on bikes called Saddle Up Adventures, and we're expanding that to Big Kids Camp, uh, Average Person Olympics Week, uh, Diabetes um, Management and um, Prevention Week. So we're doing all kinds of programs, and we're also doing an open streets festival like they have in Portland called Sunday Parkways. So I'm busy, you know, I'll rest when I'm dead. I had plenty of rest when I was in the hospital and and not sure whether I was going to, you know, it was just about breathe in, breathe out then. And so the way some people who dodge a, a car accident or life-scaring moment will have a sense of gratitude for a little while, I kind of have a permanent gratitude uh, mindset these days, Mason. It's a nice way to walk around in your days because it's just about happy to be here and how can I help? Right, right. That, I didn't know that. I, I had read a little bit about that early on, but I didn't know it was so uh, so intense for you. Yeah, it was um, to be or not to be. And, you know, I played it down at the time and, you know, it was it was a hard walk. But my doctors said uh, at the end, I got a new doctor and he said, boy, we did everything to try and kill you, but I guess you're hard to kill. <laughs> Friends of mine made a hashtag uh, T-shirt that says hard to kill. Hard to kill. <laughs> Is that your next book? Put that on my resume. You know, the next book, I got a couple of new books coming out, but I don't think you've read the latest that came out a year and a half or so ago, right before, uh, you know, I went down circling the drain there for a little while. It was called um, A Guide to Falling Down in Public, Finding Balance on and Off the Bicycle. And that one got a starred review in the New York Times. They called it, and I don't know about this, Mason, but I, I go with this as a positive review. They said it was a literary hurricane. We had to shelter in place until it was over. <laughs> <laughs> I would take that as a compliment, man. You know, hurricanes, at least I'm doing some damage, I guess is what I figure. You're making a dent. <laughs> so, so you know, there's a million ways to skin a cat, uh, Mason, and the cat's not going to like any of them. So I kind of I learned that through this illness and this stretch that, uh, you know, Life takes turns, but, uh, you know, you either lay down and die or you get back up and, and find some good stuff to do with the time that remains. 
do you feel like that time because you seem to be pretty pretty energetic and pretty positive just rearing to go how did that affect that personality did you find times where you just did not feel like yourself for extended periods of time you've hit it on the head mason i didn't feel like myself for about 11 months Mm. i was not the metal cowboy i i i went i went to ground I just was trying to get by. I had canceled events and performances. And um, the only thing that, that stayed, even through the illness and the, the drugs that the hospital tried to kill me with and all of it, the only thing that stayed was my ability to write. And it was brutal, but I, but I wanted to finish that, that book just in case my day was up. I'm just so thankful that, that my day you know, that it wasn't my number and that, that I get to, I get to spend time on the bike and off the bike and with my kids and trying to do some, some good and really continue to make those connections that I've tried to do all, all through my life. I believe in, um, in, and not just it being another day, but being a day where you, you have some meaningful interaction with people. And uh, you, either either a day where you're the answer to someone's prayers or they're the answer to yours, you know, and, and just a chance to laugh a little more and tell some more stories. Boy, I, I've had um, there's a good a good number of stories that haven't been told yet, and they build up every day. You know, I like to think myself as a um, there's a vault. It's not as thick as Prince's vault, but there's a vault of stories that I still need to get out there. Absolutely. That is crazy. Uh, you know, you never know what someone's going through. You just don't know how you're going to come out on the other side either. I mean, how deeply were your kids affected? Well, my kids are, are doing just wonderful. And um, what it did, though, Mason, and I, I you know, I don't know if that's a, this is the place or time, but it ended my marriage. And uh, that was really hard for me. I mean, that was the hardest part of the whole thing. A 25-year marriage um, ended because of... Uh, you know, I just wasn't Superman anymore for a while there. And um, you never know how somebody's going to take uh, another person's illness. There's no animosity. There's no, um, it's a heartbreak, but, you know, you have to move on in your life. And um, and so there's that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, man, that's that's real life, dude. It's uh, We don't like to shy away from the realness of pursuing your passions on this show because, it's not always, not every aspect of it is, is wonderful and pretty. It's not a Disney movie, that's for sure. Well, it's not. Unfortunately, mine wasn't a Stephen King uh, novel either. It turns out that, um, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, happiness and memories and, and life back there. I'm not one of those guys that's going to rewrite history. I try and... I try and be honest and sincere in my in my books. I hope that comes through that you've read and um yeah. and uh, you know you um you can only uh, move forward and get up. And I did get up and um and I am the guy you read in those books. I'm back and I was I was that guy underneath while I was ill. But it was um it was hard, uh, Mason. I couldn't listen to music. I couldn't uh, noises and and light and it was. Uh, uh, under all uh, all conditions, the doctors said they don't know how I was still here. Now I'm back. You know, I'm back and feeling great. And weathering you know, those those emotional storms, it does put things in perspective relationship wise when you're just happy to be here. And, and so you approach things. I've never been a materialistic person, so I've never um, put a lot of uh, grip on, on stuff. And so I'm. I'm having a good time with it. I've got meaningful work, 
I've got a healthy relationship with another person now. And the kids, uh, the kids are wonderful. The new relationship I'm in, she's a cyclist and a writer. It's nice to be able to, uh, you know, get on your bike with someone else uh, and just ride mile for mile and just still be here. Yeah. So, Joe, you've you've been able to create a pretty well, seemingly a, a solid career, you might say otherwise, behind closed doors. And I know exactly how that is. But how has this career been for you? And has it grown over time? Has it been a, a real grind? Has it suffered, especially with that health crisis? I'm sure there was a time you just could not push your brand. Delve into that a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know what? Like I said, the bicycle's been very, very good to me. Uh, it's it's everything, no matter what you do in this world, uh you know, there's days where, you know, you'd rather not be whoever you've become brand wise. You're just uh, tired of it. But um, uh, there's been very few of those days because I've gotten a chance to do two things I love to do, which is bicycle and write. And so uh, I'm a real happy man on that front. And the career grew. I mean, it's the, the houses bought the, you know, it bought the houses, it paid kids through school. It's, um, it's been a career and it's evolved in that, you know, books have become less. Uh, I mean, I still have a big following, so I still sell a lot of books, but I tend to sell myself more in, in, in events and shows. And I've built a, a, a one man show with my sort of storytelling and, and visuals and props. I'm not carrot top or anything, but, you know, it's an actual show. You don't come in here read behind a podium i stage and it's sort of a mixture of comedy and um and satire and pathos and so between the magazine writing and the, the books being optioned and and all the performances and the book sales that come with those performances i've been able to have a really nice career now when i got sick my work my career runs on energy and so that was brutal that was a, a big hit. You know, I've weathered that hit, but things change. You know, you have to sell houses when you're in the middle of um of a relationship ending, a long-time marriage. And, you know, you got to think about the children. We've got four of them. We're not Catholic. We're just careless. So we, we've got four boys, and uh, <laughs> and they're my life. And um, they're both – they're all uh, cyclists. They all know how to ride a bike. Uh, yeah, I, I well, you, you wrote an entire book about – biking across uh, Canada with them. So I think you've showed them some pretty cool stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's up to them to do what they want with the rest of their lives. I just want them to be happy. And now that my health is back um, and holding, you know, I'm trying to think of ways to get the uh, younger boys because they haven't had that big adventure yet on bike. They've had a lot of smaller ones. And that may be the way it goes, like biking out to the pumpkin patch and and riding them out to the coast and we ride to school and we ride in the neighborhood and we ride the Springwater corridor and they're on bikes a lot. My friend, Maddie Carlson, the, the woman who cycles and writes family ride and everything else. She has two sons the same age. So we do a lot of sort of family biking with, with the kids and, and that may be the, the extent of it for now, but I am still Jones and Mason, you know, cause you don't, uh, you don't lose the, uh, the desire, even as uh, things change in your life, uh, when you've done quarter of a million miles of, of biking around the globe, there's always that next road trip on the back of your mind. So, uh, you know, I'm looking at opportunities for the future. Uh, summer's probably to, 
to get one or both of the boys out on a longer trip. So have you been able to build your career back up to, to a sustainable point? And you, and you did say you've taken a, a role as executive director. Is that a, is that a paying position? That's a paying position. So right now, you know, I'm doing speaking gigs in San Diego and Los Angeles and San Francisco and Seattle. And those pay well because people know what they're getting and they, they, you know, uh, Mason, this is not some ego thing, but they get a cover charge at the door to come see me, which, uh, you know, I tell them, Hey, if you didn't get dinner with this, you got screwed. Come on in. <laughs> there you go. Uh, you know, I, I, I have a lot of fun and people have a lot of fun with it. And so, you know, I could have just kept, uh, that side of things going and built it back up and, and done fine. And I'm still doing all of that. But the exec director position was more of, Hey, I do need something steady right now as I build up. But more than that, it's a legacy building. I didn't need to take the job. I wanted to take the job because although Portland is very, very bike friendly and very built up over the last 20 years, we've really done a lot of work here to to make that happen. And I played a role in that as well. These guys recruited me because they knew I played a role in that and wanted to see if I could do the same on the west side where it's very rural, suburban, and exurb. So it's a lot of more challenges to try and come into a very car-centric uh, sort of demographic and layout and, and try and bring bike infrastructure, safety, and, and culture. And so it's a damn big challenge. But, you know, sending the Irish were cheaper than arrows. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm in and I'm I'm you know battling a good fight and I'm having fun with it. We'll see where it goes. I'm fine. I, I, I'm doing fine and um and I never wanted for much, Mason. I'm not you know you're never going to see me chasing after the latest fashion or car or or gadget unless it's on a bike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um you know people ask me where my armada of bikes are and I said well I've given some of them away. I've uh, traded some off. I've auctioned some off for charities, you know, so I only have maybe four, three or four bikes. And because uh, I believe in a, a, a bike ought to be rode. Uh, if it's not ridden, it's not doing, it's not serving any purpose. Yeah, there you go. Uh, you know. They, yeah, they were made to be ridden, that's for sure. Nothing sadder than a bike sitting in a garage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. True, true metal cowboy quote right there. Yeah, so what so what are we what should we be expecting from the Metal Cowboy in the next few years? Any more books coming out? There you go. There's more books, there's more projects. The the latest book is a departure for me, but it's it's also not. I'll I'll, I'll explain that. It's about a cycling Amazonian warrior woman from 1906. She lived from 1906 to 2005. She was you know, she lived, loved, and rode on her own terms. She was an equality pioneer, badass, and she was faster than the men. She set the sporting life record. This is all in Britain. She set the sporting life record, the half-mile sprint record. She went 1,000 miles in 84 hours of in-saddle riding. Wasn't broken for five decades, man or woman. Wow. She was a monster in the saddle, an effervescent person out of the saddle, and she just pleasantly and with purpose won about trying to get herself to be allowed to race against the men in the tour de France to the point where the newsreels covered her. The, the, the queen of England came out and the prime minister and the, the labor head of labor shot off the gun. When she set these records she went from the lowest point 
in the UK to the highest point in, in Wales and back in seven days. She was amazing, and they still wouldn't let her race. They kept all the records for the women unofficial. It's a very much a story of how the pa- patriarchal system and the button-down England wouldn't face, uh, you know, they were afraid to let a woman ride. And today they're still afraid to let women ride in the Tour de France. And so that would be enough story right there, Mason. Then it takes a, you know, it goes from the female Jackie Robinson of the bike world, where she was the first spokesperson for wind trainers, for recumbents. She had a whole career as a stunt double and a a faraway shot in Gracie Fields' uh, movies. So she had a she had a whole movie career. Uh, she was the the godmother of cyclocross in Europe. She started cyclocrossing for women. All of this would be an amazing story. She toured and went ten thousand miles in ninety three days. But in the end, Mason, it turns into Inglorious Bastards because she becomes a bona fide spy and hero and and a Lorraine Cross a medal winner from De Gaulle in World War II. She she goes in Glorious Bastards and she's a Nazi fighter. And it's an amazing story. And the story is called uh, Lightning in a Saddle, The Long Untamed Life of Evelyn Hamilton. It, it's legacy work for me. It's the piece of, of me that um that I'm really I'm really super proud of the project. I'm super proud of, of the way the book has turned out and it'll be out in a few months. I was going to say, when do you expect this to be out? I'll tell you what, people can, I'm not, I'm not going to pour the brand, but I'm just about to. So let's rock with it. You can go to metalcowboy.com backslash shop or just go to metalcowboy.com and you can pre-order it and you'll get it in two ways. You'll get it as a PDF very shortly and then you'll get it as the paper book, uh, you know, the hard, the, the real, real world book for the price of the one order. So we're giving anybody who pre-orders it two different ways. And I'll be on a national book tour. I'll be, and when I say a book tour, I'm not going to sit there and read from the book. You're going to get slides. And it's amazing. This woman was didn't even have her own Wikipedia page. And now she's going to be inducted in 2020 into the British Cycling Hall of Fame. She had been completely overlooked. Imagine overlooking Gino Bartoli or politically or war hero-wise, Grant or Sherman or Abraham Lincoln, you know, I mean, this woman was that, that big in the the quality pioneer. She'd be right up there with Susan B. Anthony, but she was overlooked. And so I look at it this way, Mason. It's I've been able to help bring Evelyn Hamilton the last hundred yards across the finish line of history. I'm quite moved that I've um, that I've stuck around long enough to do it. And when I say stuck around, I plan to stick around another 40, 50 years, Mason, but this was a bump in a road and you never know whether you're going to be here tomorrow. So I'm just glad that the book is done. It's not, you know, too many times people look at history as something that already happened. Uh, you, I look at it as a roadmap for how we might behave and act and choices we might make in the future. Um, and given our current political climate, there is... No better time and place for this book about uh, equality and humanity and letting us all have an even playing field than right now, because we're living the same things that that Evelyn had to deal with uh, 
hundred years ago. How, how did you just rediscover her story? Obviously, it's not hard to see why it inspired you to write the book, but but where did you come across it and started reading more about her? That's a great question. I was doing a piece for an, a magazine article. And I just happened to be on a website, uh, the University of Toronto, happened to be looking up um, emancipated cycling people, and it had nothing to do with Evelyn Hamilton, or I didn't think it did, but I saw this picture. And I talk about it in the book. I found this picture. No, it might as well have been on a floor of an attic. All it said was 1925. And it had Evelyn leaning over, sitting against her bicycle right off the saddle, looking at a map with a tree behind her in daylight and um, looking like she had all the time in the world and all the miles left in her legs. The thing was, Mason, she didn't look at all like she was from the 1920s. She looked like she could be, she was in bike shorts and a wool jersey and, and, all of it, she looked like she was from 2005. And I thought, wow, this one looks like a time traveler. And I pulled the picture down and I vowed that I would find out more about her. And then I got diagnosed with hemochromatosis and then I dove into writing it. And it took me face recognition uh, software from a buddy of mine at Intel to be able to track down who this woman was because there was just nothing based on a picture. I didn't have a name. I didn't have anything. It was interesting because she had seven different uh, iterations of her name. She was Evelyn with a E Evelyn with a Y. She was Alice Bayless. She was Hamilton. She was Gladys was her nickname uh, all over the British newsreels. So she was called Jane at one point and she took on an assumed name of a dead bistro owner in world war two. And then she married in world war two uh, a war lover and so she had the name helson as a last name hyphen so she had all these names and um once i got the the face recognition to match up all over the web it was astounding how much information it was all off to the four corners and the winds mason but it was there and i just had to pull it together i pulled it together from secret service redacted um british information I, I've got birth records and death records, interviews, uh, Ancestry.com, emailing, you know, people, characters in the stories, relatives and descendants. And I went on a worldwide literary treasure hunt, and this is what it produced. Wow. Now, I'm really excited to read it. I, I bet there were times and times again you just were blown away that this woman wasn't more known because I've never heard of her. And everything you've said is completely movie-worthy if not, at the very least, book-worthy. Exactly. And it's been optioned as a uh, movie. I wrote a screenplay before I finished the book because with a screenplay, it's inspired by true events. With a book, you have to dot all the I's. And, you know, and so I was able to write the screenplay in tandem but finish it before uh, the book. And at any rate, everybody should go that's listening to this should go to evelynhamilton.org. E-V-E-L-Y-N, Hamilton, just like it sounds, H-A-M-I-L-T-O-N. Is that right? Yeah, I'm, dot, I'm just spelling it out loud. Uh, .org, EvelynHamilton.org, and you'll be able to actually see video. There was archive. There was all these plath newsreels, Mason, of her. I mean, you can hear her speak, and you can see her time-trialing behind a motorcyclist getting ready for to set her records. and. And you can see her doing her cyclocross that she organized for 200 women. To, and the reason she did that was to try and move the uh, the organizers of the Tour de France to say, look, 
not only is she faster on road, but she's faster in snow and, and rain and, and hills and, and dirt and uh, still, uh, you know, crickets. So it's a hell of a story, EvelynHamilton.org. And what's great is as I'm telling the story, the more and more unbelievable it seems, I've got, you know, I've got private uh, collection photos and postcards and, and these newsreels. So you see that she's not just a picture on an attic floor, but, but a whole life here and uh, an amazing one. So that's, that's what's next for you. And obviously you are working to, to get bike culture into West Portland. Is that right? Yeah, West side. West side. Yes, the West side, they call it. It's a 16 city county. It's the second largest county in, in Oregon. And there's a lot of great things happening out there politically and, and infrastructure wise. But there's also a, a contingent of people that drive around with bumper stickers that say one less bike. So, you know, some days you do feel like Jon Snow on the wall. And, you know, you, you, you got to be a happy warrior, uh, Mason, because in this world, um, you lay down or you get up. And the trouble is that you think you have more time. And I know for certain that I have only the time I have right now. And I am living it out loud and grateful and with, with plenty of humility, but a lot of humor and a lot of uh, sincerity. Uh, I always tried to live that way, uh, but definitely a wake-up call to see if I can push that envelope even more. I totally agree with you. I I won't get too into it, but I went through a pretty tough time a few years ago with depression, and I, I'd say my my gratefulness for every day is exponentially higher than it was before. It, it's interesting you mentioned that, Mason, and not to uh, make this a whole health crisis uh, interview, but... Uh, the, the drugs they put me on really uh, allowed me to understand what anxiety and depression, because it boomeranged, because they weren't, they were introduced into my system. And uh, between the illness and the drugs, you know, there was, there was, uh, I was down, you know. And so I have a, now that I'm back, I have a, a deeper, deeper appreciation for what it means to struggle uh, uh, day in and day out with um, with anxiety and depression and just other forms of uh, physical and emotional challenges, I'll say. And so uh, we go through our lives thinking uh, we're more invincible and less fragile than we are. And maybe that's a, a defense mechanism, but we don't have to be. You Kindness does not have to be thought of as weakness. And so, you know, I would much rather uh, sing the song of kindness is my verse that I contribute to this world in all directions. But uh, I choose, with no illusions, Mason, I choose to sing kindness. And I sing it because it's the way to stay human. I, I agree. And you said something interesting. You're not as tough as you think you are. But when something that drastic happens to you, it humbles you. But it almost, it, it reinforces that the softness in you to a tough level. I realize that I'm a lot more fragile than I thought I was, but forces me to want to increase my kindness and increase that gratitude. So it's the things that I thought were soft before are now the things that I hold on to as strong as possible. And the things that I thought exactly. were as solid before, now I can kind of let wash away and realize that's okay. I, I I love that line. There's a line that goes, what do we say to death? 
we say not today. And every day, every day I get up and I, I do feel, you know, I pulled four kids across, I pulled two kids at my dad's ashes across America and just a, you know, 18 wheels of, of kids and bikes and lightsabers and diapers and fishing gear across Canada. You know, I, I'm a, I'm hard like a diamond and I'm strong as hell, but we're all going to go someday and we're only as strong as, as today. So those things you, you cannot, you cannot make those your being. You've got to make connections and, and kindness and, and the, the outward acts of kindness, your religion, if you want to really live fully. That's my belief. And also my other religion other religion is laughter. I I just love the absurdity of life. If you can't poke fun, if you can't poke fun at yourself, and just have a good laugh with folks, oh, it's for naught. I'll tell you one story before I go that yeah, isn't please. in any books, but it's going to be in a book called Sweet Tea Existentialism. It's all about my childhood rides and rides in, in the South. It's called or Riding Down the Rebel Roads in the Back Up the Backwoods Bayous of My Childhood. Sweet tea existentialism in it, and I've had a great time. And 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 I had an opportunity when I was writing for Bicycling Magazine and Men's Journal and Outside. I had an opportunity to do a column called uh, 10 Things About the Bike." Uh, different contributors would would write um, that column, and um, I got the call that I was going to be interviewing Robin Williams, and um, and this was a dream come true for me because, you know, one humorous to a god of, of humor, it was just a, it was like a Make-A-Wish Foundation gift to me, uh, Mason. So I got 30 minutes on the phone. That was what I was told. 30 minutes, Robin Williams, you're on. And so I got on the phone with him. And the first thing I did was I tell him we'd already met or at least part of us had met. I said, yeah, you know, I was 19 years old. I was in the toy boat store ice cream shop in san francisco and this i don't know it looked like a, a hairy south american spider walked across the counter and picked up a napkin and it was your hand robin it was your right hand and, and it was just so hairy and moving i thought of a spider <laughs> and and robin williams on the other end of the phone we haven't spoken yet he says well i'll tell you joe i'm real acquainted with my right hand <laughs> oh my god oh my god <laughs> And at that point, we were we were off and running, Mason. We were just it was a it was a two man back and forth rat a tat tat of humor and and I was having my make a wish moment. You know, I was on I was on a stage with an empty uh, auditorium performing with Ron Williams. So, you know, it gets to be about minute twenty two. Well, here's the kicker of the story, Mason. It gets to be about minute twenty two, and I realize. Holy crap, I haven't done my job. I've probably got three of the 10 questions out of him. And so I, I kick into high gear and I say to him, listen, Robin, when I wrote Metal Cowboy, I thought of my adventures as being a traveler, not a tourist. And there was a long pause on the other end of the phone, Mason, and he says, wait, you wrote Metal Cowboy? And at that moment, it went from the Robin Williams we all know on TV and on stage and in Mork and Mindy and all that Robin Williams guy that's on and, and over the top to just a Robin Williams that would be, I can only equate it to two guys sitting on a stoop, just having a conversation like old buddies, it just guys that liked bikes and like to make people laugh. And 
at that moment, I, I had a, I mean, he stayed on the phone for another 30 minutes and we just had a, a, a great time, but not a on, we weren't on, we were just people. And I asked him, the last question I asked him, I said, so Robin, what has the bike done for your life? And he said, well, I'll tell you, Joe, the bike has extended my life. And like any good journalist, you know, you can turn it around. If you put words into their mouth and they say yes, so you can massage a quote to make it sound better. And so I said, so what you're saying, Robin, is that the bike saved your life. And he did that good morning in Vietnam. No, 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 Joe. That's not what I'm saying. He said, because nothing in this world can save your life because life is not meant to be saved, Joe. It's meant to be spent. And what you and I have to ask ourselves is how we're going to spend the rest of ours. Wow. And I got to tell you, Mason, that, that was a goodwill hunting moment. I was a poor man's, poor man's Matt Damon. Yeah. And I tell you, when, when I got off the phone with, with him, I sat there, I was a little shaky and a little verklempt because it moved me even then before my illness, before we lost him, it moved me to think about what I do with the rest of mine. And, and I got an object lesson and a lot of time to think about that in the last year and a half over the last six months, I've been doing just what I want to do with the time that remains. And, you know, whether it makes a difference or not, I feel like it's made a difference for me and hopefully for the people around me. Yeah, you've you've got another chance at this and, you know, keep riding into that sunset, you know? Oh, yeah. You know, I look at it this way. I, I got a lot of other ways to make to make it go wrong. So, hey, I'm glad to have the shot at it. <laughs> so as long as I'm doing it on a bicycle and bringing people stories from the road, filling a, a, the space with some laughter and some kindness, um, you know, Kitty up. Great. Joe, thanks so much for joining us today, man. And I think you already let people know how they can read more about your works. But if you want to drop that again real quick, uh, that'd be great. Sure. Metalcowboy.com. www. Because for some reason it doesn't work without the W. is metalcowboy.com and evelynhamilton.org. You can really um, learn about all kinds of stuff about my my um, disorder that you can learn more about iron. Um, overload you learn about evelyn hamilton and you can get some of my books they'll be um friends of the cowboy priest over there don't give jeff bezos any more money you know <laughs> come on over to metal cowboy yeah he, yeah jeff bezos is is he's gonna be fine yeah let's help joe out yeah don't worry about him <laughs> man i'm really looking forward to the book hey thank you so much and mason you keep riding and um enjoying it, getting shows like this out to the world awesome thank you so much joe all right my friend First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventuresportspodcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun. <laughs>